present of you. Lord, that you would make us increasingly holy. We'd look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, that we would trust the way you trust, that we would give the way you give. We would bless the way you bless. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we will be people of the kingdom of heaven, Lord, we be people filled with the Spirit of God. Lord, that as people encounter us, they would encounter you. They would encounter a new reality. They would encounter hope and joy and life and healing and peace. Speak to us, Lord. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Thank you, guys. So the idea of this whole series, God Big's, God's Big Picture, and the reason why we're doing it, is to help us that um, whenever we read a passage of the Bible, we'll know where to place it in the framework of the last eight weeks. So the idea is to take um, what is a very sophisticated and complex book, uh, 66 books, and this last eight-week series helps us that whenever we read a passage of scripture, whether it's a verse or a chapter or whatever it is, that we have a framework that we can place any passage of scripture into that framework and we know where it fits and where it comes in the whole story of what God is doing in the midst of history. So we come today to the last part of it, the perfected kingdom, because the Bible is all about the kingdom of God. And uh, as Matthew was saying, it's all about a happy ending. It's all about a, a wonderful picture um, of what is to come. I want you to imagine that it's 100 years ago, that it's the year 1919. You're a member of Bangor Parish Church, you come here each week, and you're familiar with the inside of the building. And you go home and you have a vivid dream that you sense is from the Lord. And in the vivid dream, it's like you're showing snapshots of the inside of this building as it looks today in 2019. It's not a video. It's a series of images, a series of, of static pictures. It's a bit like looking in a album. You know the way sometimes we, if you're very well organized, you come back from holidays, it's showing my ears because I'm talking about a physical album, but you come back from holidays and you put your photographs in the album and you're able to relive the holiday. Ah, oh, we were there, remember that? And, and quite often we may, we may place it in, in chronological order. Well, Revelation is like a photograph album where there are static images and it's not in chronological order. It's images of what the future kingdom of God looks like. And so imagine in the dream that you have of the inside of this building as it is now, 100 years ago. And some of the images are of the renewed aspects of the building that you're used to. So the reason why you're able to recognize that it's the inside of St. Comgall's church, because the building is dedicated to St. Comgall. 
as a follower of Jesus Christ. The reason why you're able to recognize the inside of the building is because there are many aspects that look like vivid, more colorful, renewed versions of what you're used to. And so you see the stained glass windows and you say, I recognize the stained glass windows. They're the ones inside in Bangor Parish Church. But they look more vivid. They look much more crisp and colorful. And you see another static photograph of a pillar. And you're used to the fact that in your time, 100 years ago, they looked gray. But actually, in your dream, you see they've been restored to the salmony pink color. And you see the organ pipes, and you think, hold on a second, aren't those organ pipes like a dull, galvanized color? Actually, in your dream, they're gold. So there, there are pictures that you see that are they're a renewed version of what you recognize. There are also some things missing. You go, didn't there used to be a big stone pulpit that sat there? What happened to the big stone pulpit? It's gone. What about the wooden pews? They're gone. And there are some things that weren't there before that are there. So in your, in your dream, you have this other vivid picture, which is of a kitchen and a welcome area and, and rooms and, and archways and panes of glass. And you say, hold on a second. Uh, those weren't there before. And you're thinking, how will all those fit into the building? There must be another dimension. I can't see how all this is going to fit into my beloved St. Comgill's building. There must be another dimension. I think it's a good way to look at the book of Revelation. There are things that you think, that's a renewed version of the old. I can recognize it, but it doesn't look quite the same. There are things that were there that aren't there anymore. And there are things that are there that weren't there before. But just like in that dream, the static photographs that we have in our mind's eye can't hope to, they can't hope to really get across what it, what is it like to be in the midst of worship in the year 2019, in the midst of the community of God in Bangor Parish. The photographs can't hope to capture that. They're just capturing something of the future in snapshots. The same is true of Revelation. John the Apostle, the writer, is given a vision from God. He's given the task, with the help of God, of trying to write on paper and trying to describe what is actually indescribable. Always the challenge as a writer, isn't it? How do you describe the indescribable? John, close friend and follower of Jesus, is most likely on the island of Patmos in exile. In exile because Jews and Christians are being severely persecuted. During a 200-year period, Christians and Jews undergo terrible persecution. They are killed, they are beaten, they are exiled, they're told and banished to different countries. John is exiled to modern-day Alcatraz on the island of Patmos because he's a Christian. In the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is a style of literature called apocalyptic literature. The word apocalypse means revelation, which means unveiling. 
And the thing about these types of literature in the Bible is they're full of symbolism. They are packed with theological symbolism. They're trying to convey massive truths in little nuggets of symbols. And they are also, in a way, written in code because it's too dangerous to write in prose. So in Daniel, in Revelation, in different parts of the Bible, they're often written in the, in the style of apocalypse, the style of revelation, because it's too dangerous to write in the style of prose. So John, as it were, modern-day Alcatraz, trying to write down the vision that God has given, given him, and God speaks to him in highly symbolic pictures, and he writes it down. It's dangerous to write in prose. If he were to write, well, we know that we are being persecuted by the Roman Empire, and this time the emperor was Domitian, who reigned between 81 and 96 AD, and there were a number of periods of severe persecution under Nero and under Domitian. End of the first century, this is the time that John writes, and that's why he writes in apocalyptic style. And so the reason for the book of Revelation is to encourage and to give strength to those among the people who are going through hell on earth because their life is in danger. They're people of the kingdom of God, but it's a very dangerous time to be a Christian. And so Revelation is written to encourage those who are struggling as followers of Jesus Christ in a very, very hostile world. So there's a number of images, a number of theological pictures. They're not sequential, they're concurrent. One of the first pictures, Revelation chapters one to three, Jesus, the Son of Man, is among the seven lampstands. And John tells us the seven lampstands represent the seven churches in the province of Asia. They're written to those churches, but actually the book of Revelation is for all Christians and every time in the last days. As we explained last week, the last days is the time between the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven and his return from heaven to earth. That is the last days. We have been in the last days now for over 2,000 years. But as we also heard last week, to God a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years are like a day. So this first picture, Jesus among the lampstands, and the message of that is this. Jesus is saying to his people, I am with you. I am among you. Be encouraged and repent. The message of the first three chapters of Revelation is, I know everything about you. So be encouraged and repent because I know everything about you. It's the Son of Man because he's on the earth, he's among his people, he's among his churches. The second picture, chapters four and five. This time the snapshot is not on earth, this time the snapshot is in heaven. And this time, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is on the throne. And the theological message this time that God is giving John and John is giving to us as the church of God is this. Jesus is saying, I have conquered, therefore believe. 
So the Lamb is on the throne. Who is the Lamb? Well, the only way to understand Revelation is to know the Old Testament. That's why there's so much mis misunderstanding of Revelation. It's written in code for those who understand the Old Testament. Only if we understand the whole of God's big picture will Revelation make any sense to us because we will miss the point just like those who are meant to miss the point if it fell into enemy hands. What would, what would they think? This is a lot of, I don't know what this means. Only can we understand it if we understand the Old Testament and the New Testament. So who is on the throne? It is a lamb who looks like he's been slain. What does that mean? It's the exodus. It's the night where God is going to deliver his people. And how is he going to deliver his people? By them smearing the blood of the Passover lamb over their doorposts. The angel of death passes through. The Egyptian firstborn are slaughtered. The people of God are spared. Who's on the throne? It is the Passover lamb of God who looks who has been slain. And we understand as those who are in the know as we read Revelation, it's the one through whose blood we have been delivered from death to life. Only he is able to open the scroll, to break the seven seals, to bring judgment on all that is evil, and to bring in a new heaven and a new earth. Only the lamb is qualified to hold the seal, to break, to, to break the seals, to open the scroll. You see the symbolism? It's a lamb, a lamb holding a scroll. How can a lamb hold a scroll? It's not a lamb, it's a man. It's the Passover lamb who is Jesus Christ. Another symbol in Revelation chapter 19. This time the next snapshot is Jesus coming from heaven to earth. First snapshot, earth. Second snapshot, heaven. Third snapshot, Jesus coming from heaven to earth. He's on a white horse. It's symbolic. He's coming with a crown on his head and a sword in his mouth. He's coming to stand up and to overcome all of those who are the enemies of the church. All of the evil, evil structures and ideologies and frameworks and the work of Satan himself, everything that stands up in opposition to the church, and the message of Revelation chapter 19 is this. Jesus is saying, I am coming soon, therefore endure. All these snapshots, they're not sequential. It's not a time chart. We're not meant to try and interpret it and saying, oh, what does this mean? Is this the year such and such? Is this Nazi concentration camps? It's the whole of the thousand years. The thousand years is symbolic for the last days. It's meant to be symbolic of a long period of time. And so there's symbols like uh, there's the seven seals and there's the, the trumpets and there's all sorts of symbols. There's the symbol of the beast, the symbol of the false prophet, all who end up in the lake of fire, the symbol of Babylon. Why are they written in code? It's too dangerous to write in prose. Who's, who's John primarily thinking of when he's writing about Babylon? He's thinking about Domitian, the emperor, and the Roman Empire who are slaughtering his friends. but God is actually speaking through John to his church to speak about every evil structure in every age between the ascension of Jesus Christ and his coming again in glory. It's written for you and me.
And so we come to these last chapters of Revelation, 17 to 20, and then on to the last two chapters. And those chapters are about the destruction of evil. And again, they're full of symbolism. There's the lake of fire. John is given the task by the strength of the Holy Spirit to describe the indescribable. He's writing in symbols. And so then there comes the destruction of evil and the way for a new heaven and a new earth, a renewed reality. So for us, and this is just a metaphor of what the big thing we're trying to grasp, for us, the 7th of June 2012 was for us the day of transformation. The Bible talks about the day of the Lord. Well, I just wanted to use a metaphor, and the metaphor for us is the 7th of June 2012 was the day of the Lord. It was the day of fire. Because the Bible describes the day of the Lord as a day of fire. In what sense that is literal, in one sense it is a metaphor. The way Peter describes it in chapter 3 is this of his second letter. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens, by which he means the sky, will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It's not just a time of destruction, it's a time of cleansing. Everything that is done in it will be laid bare. It's a time of cleansing. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Christians are looking forward to the day of the Lord. We're going out throughout the world. We're trying to share our faith. Why? Because we want the day of the Lord to come. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It's apocalyptic language. Why would we look forward to a day where everything was absolutely destroyed? It's apocalyptic language. It's cleansing language. Because the reality is there is coming, as Peter says, a new heaven and a new earth. And what will the new heaven and the new earth look like? Well, it, would look, it will look like a renewed version of the old. That's why in some ways it's recognizable. He's referring to Genesis chapter 1, God made a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming, a renewed earth, a renewed heaven. Some of the things will look recognizable to what they were before. They'll just be much more vivid and much more clear and not much more comfortable, not much more colorful. There will be, there'll be things that we thought would be there that won't be there, just like the pulpit's gone, the pews have gone. The reality is the Bible says in John's vision, there's no longer any sea. Why does he say there's no longer any sea? Because it's symbolic theological language in the Old Testament, sea is theological speak for chaos. The sea in the Jewish mindset in the Old Testament is the place of chaos. It was the sea that Jonah went into. Why? It's the place of chaos. The Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. What are the waters? The place of chaos. What does God do? He brings order out of chaos and he brings life out of death. 
That's why there's no sea in John's vision and revelation. It's a metaphor. It's theological, symbolic language. There's no more chaos. There's no more crying. There's no more death. There's no more mourning because the old order of things have passed away. John is trying to describe the indescribable. And then there's these beautiful pictures. Again, deep theological richness of the Old Testament. He says it's going to be a new creation. The renewed heaven and earth. There's the bride. Do you remember a number of weeks ago we looked at Hosea? And God speaking to the prophet Hosea and saying, you my people, you have been unfaithful, but the day is coming whenever this marriage will be completely renewed. And so John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw a bride coming down out of heaven, beautifully dressed for her husband. Who's the husband? He is Jesus Christ. It's theological language for the perfection of all things. And what is the symbolism? All through the Old Testament, the prophets are saying God will bring back, he will restore the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God about? It's about God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And the fulfillment of God saying to his people, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's what the heavenly marriage is all about. It is complete intimacy with, between us and God. And so the part of Revelation 21 we, we skipped out there, we didn't want to read too much of it today, is that, is that picture of a perfect cube, 12 stadia by 12 stadia by 12 stadia. It's the picture of the garden city, but it's written in, it's written in figurative language. Somebody who understands the Old Testament will understand it's the Holy of Holies writ large. The Holy of Holies was a cube. It was the place where only the high priest could go into, and even then only once a year. It was such a holy place because God was seen to dwell there. So holy, in fact, that the high priest had a rope attached to his ankle. So if he collapsed or died in the Holy of Holies, he could be pulled out with the rope because no one else was allowed to go in. So what's the cube? What's the 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000? It's the Holy of Holies writ large. Why? Because there's no temple. Why there's no temple? Because God is everywhere. Because the whole thing is the Holy of Holies. It's the new Jerusalem. What does Jerusalem mean? It doesn't mean the city in Palestine. It means the kingdom of God. It's all metaphor. It's metaphor for the kingdom of God. And so John chooses Babylon, the nation who brought uh, his people into exile. He chooses Jerusalem as a symbol for the kingdom of heaven. He's writing in code. He's using the metaphors that he knows to explain well, what, what metaphor will we use for the kingdom of God. Because by this time, by the persecution under Domitian between 81 and 96, Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been raised to the ground. Why? Judgment has come on the people of Israel. There is only one true Israel, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he's on the throne in heaven. There's the new creation. There's the new Jerusalem. There's the bride coming down out of heaven. It's all a beautiful picture of the reality of the kingdom that is to come.
So Jesus in his prayer teaches us to pray, Lord, may your will be done in heaven and as it is on earth. And so often throughout the decades and centuries, we've been thinking about another place, us going to another place, dying and going to another place. The Bible is not about us going to another place. The Bible is about us craving for another time. It's about the perfected kingdom of God, the perfected future of kingdom of God coming into the here and now. That's why we say bring it on, bring it back, bring it into the here and now. We are people, future people living in the present. It's tragic that so often the church is seen as past people living in the present, but actually we are future people living in the present. So Jesus understood the good kingdom that was coming and he was constantly living to call the good future kingdom into the here and now. Father, send your kingdom into the here and now. So every time we come up against sickness, we pray, Lord, send your future perfect kingdom where there's no more death and no more sickness into the here and now. And do it through me because you've chosen to do it through the temple of the Holy Spirit, the people of God in the here and now. How does God communicate the kingdom of God, the future good kingdom of God into the here and now? He does it in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and through his people. And so when you and I encounter injustice, what's God's solution in the world to justice? What is his solution to corruption and politics and economics? What's his solution? It's the church. Name a problem. I'll tell you the solution. It's the church of Jesus Christ. No matter what the problem is, medical, economic, spiritual, it doesn't matter. The answer that God gives is always the same. It's the body of my son, Jesus Christ. It's the people of God. People who we, as we sang in that song, who will stand with their, vo- with their heads towards heaven. And again, symbolic language, the name of God written on our foreheads because everything will just be about our relationship with God. And we are called to live in the here and now in that way, that every moment, every day, we're having this constant conversation with God. We're constantly looking towards heaven and we're like aerials on earth where the kingdom of God is being communicated to earth through us, his people. We are future people living in the present. That's the call of God on our lives. And so we have this wonderful uh, book of Revelation which gives us these snapshots of the glorious future which is before us. And here's the thing. It's a very earthy future. We are sitting today in in a building which has passed through fire. We are sitting in the renewed reality. We are worshiping God in the renewed reality of, as it were, the day of the Lord that happened on the 7th of June, 2012. But the fact is, it's still a physical place. So here's the thing. Here's the thing that we often miss. The Bible says that we who die in Christ and go to heaven go on a return ticket because we're coming back. And the resurrection body of Jesus Christ tells us all that we need to know about the future. Obviously, we're still trying to unpack it. And what does it mean? The body of Jesus Christ, he could eat fish. He could be touched. People didn't necessarily recognize him at first, but as soon as he spoke their name, 
as soon as he broke bread, as soon as he said, come and touch my hands, people recognized him. He was able to pass through locked doors and walls. He was able to move from a village called Emmaus to Jerusalem in the blink of an eye. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, there is a part of a new heaven on earth that has already happened, and his name is Jesus Christ. And one day, as Job said, I will stand on the earth, and I will see my Redeemer stand on the earth, and I will see him with my own eyes. Why? Because the picture of the whole of Scripture is this. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God says to Adam and Eve, he blesses them. He says, increase in number. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He says, rule, rule, rule. Put, keep everything in the right way. And so our reading finished today that Matthew read with that wonderful sentence, and they will rule with him forever and ever. Do you see the restoration of all things? The restoration of all things is God making sure that everything works out just the way he wants it. And so what's the final picture that Revelation gives us? It's living completely in the glorious presence of God in resurrection bodies that can be touched, living in a renewed heaven and a new earth with our feet planted on earth. And we will live in an environment where we can, can just reach out and touch God. God is everywhere. And there's no sickness and there's no death and there's no decay because somehow the day of the Lord, the, the, the burning, cleansing, destructive, hope-filled fire on the day of the Lord changes everything. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to the fact that if I die before Christ returns, I get a return ticket. And we go to live, as the Bible uses the metaphor of being at sleep, being at rest in heaven until the day of judgment and the day of the full restoration of the kingdom of God, a new heaven and a new earth. Isn't God a great God? He is utterly comprehensive in what he has done and in what he is doing. And he's saying to us, I know that life now can be really tough. That's why we have revelation. He's saying, I know it can be tough. But be assured, I am with you. And be assured, I am also reigning in heaven because the Lamb is on the throne. And he has the book of life, and your name is written in it. And he's also saying, and don't worry, I am coming soon. And when I come, all evil will be overcome, and a new heaven and a new earth will come. There will be the great, the great day of the Lord and the terrible day of the Lord, the day of destruction and the day of cleansing. 
and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I as future people get to bring the future kingdom of heaven into the here and now as we tell people about Jesus Christ, as we pray for things to change and be transformed in the current reality, as we face sickness and we say, Lord, heal this sickness, as we face death and say, Lord, bring life. We are kingdom carriers in the here and now. We are like holy aerials who are picking up the, the tune of the kingdom of heaven, and we're singing it in the here and now. During the week, uh, someone, a member of the, of the church family here, has been praying and, and uh, had a picture, which they sense is from God. It's of a, a trapeze artist who is swinging on the trapeze. And you know the way there's someone else swinging on the trapeze, that's trapeze. And uh, the moment of truth comes whenever the person in faith has to let go of the trapeze and just glide through the air. And if you've ever noticed trapeze artists, the person who glides through the air puts their hands up, it is the catcher who does the catching. The person who's swinging upside down in midair, back and forwards, they have one job to do, and that is to catch the person who is sailing through the air. The person just has to hope and pray the catcher will catch them. And the sense this person had was that God is speaking to us, perhaps speaking to you this morning, and we are the person going back and forwards into the bees, and God is saying to us, just let go. Let go of any regrets that you have in your life. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the midst of regret. Don't live in the what-if place, but go to the new future God has for you. Embrace it, and embrace it not by trying to grab hold of it, not by trying to control it, not fearfully, but just by letting go and sailing through the air. Because God is the great catcher. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Just sail, let go, and let God catch. I think that's a word for me. It may well be a word for you. What are the fears or the regrets that you keep going back to again and again and you keep thinking, I've got to get out of this vicious cycle. I've got to get out of this. How do I get out of it? Quite often we go for fear. We go for control. We try and control everything and just make, and actually we end up in a, in a greater mess. The Lord is saying to us today, let go and sail through the air. So I'd love us to stand. And uh, what, what I'd love us to do, the sort of sense I have was that about God asking us and inviting us to step into a new future. So whether, whether you have some space in front of you or whether you want to step out into an aisle, I want to invite you, as it were, to step across an invisible line and say, Lord, I am taking an irrevocable step to trust you in a new way, to be open to the Holy Spirit, to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that when I encounter sickness or death or doubt, I am going to respond in a faith-filled way that will transform the situation. And I want I want to challenge all of us to step, take a step forward today, a physical step forward, and say, Lord, I'm stepping into a new reality with you. If you need to step out in the aisle, step out in the aisle. But I want to encourage us to step into a place where we know we're taking an irrevocable step. So I'm going to pray, but as we worship, no, in fact, what we'll do, we'll pray, we'll pray first.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious picture that you've given John, the apostle by the Holy Spirit, glimpses behind the curtain, the unveiling of what's really happening. And we thank you, Lord, that it's imbued with hope and life. Father, you know us. You know everything about us through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's like he is walking among this lampstand. He is walking among us today by his Spirit, the Son of Man. And Lord, we just, we acknowledge the fact that you know us. And that's so encouraging. And Lord, it's also, it's also sobering. And you love us. And you're with us. And you are in charge. And you are in control. And you are trustworthy. And Lord, everything will work out well because you're coming soon. So Lord, this morning as we stand and we see clear ground before us. Lord, we want to fly to the air, and Lord, we want to have our hands open, and we want to be caught by the catcher, because we're tired of living in a half-life. We're tired of living in our own strength, and Lord, we want to live in your strength, and we want to live full, free, heavenly kingdom lives in the here and now, because we're looking forward to what is to come, and we know that you're already here with us by your Spirit. So as we worship the Lord, I just want to encourage you in the midst of prayer, in the midst of singing, just between you and the Lord, take a step forward and just make it clear to him that you are trusting him, that you trust his goodness and you trust his life. Take that step today. In Jesus' name, amen.